Today's episode of GM Street is brought to you by Cavo. This holiday season, give your loved ones the gift of stress-free TV with Control Center by Cavo. Control Center cleans up your home theater so you can control everything. Connected to your TV with one easy-to-use, family-friendly remote. Shop now and get 40% off Control Center with promo code NFL. That's $59.95. 40% off regular pricing of $99.95. Control Center is available at CAAVO.com and at Best Buy. Control Center by Cavo. One remote that does it all. And now, GM Street. Welcome to GM Street, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. It is Tuesday, it is December 11th, and it was a crazy week 14. I am joined by the great Michael Lombardi. Lombardi, how you doing? I'm doing great, Tate Frazier. Man, uh, what a great weekend of NFL football. I mean, I, I got to tell you, I think this was by far the best weekend. It had a lot of playoff implications, but there were some really good games. It was fun to watch. One of those games uh, last night happened on Monday Night Football, and I mean, I, I guess you would say maybe not reminiscent of the Monday Night Football everyone went crazy about when we saw the Chiefs and the Rams duel it out but this was probably the the antithesis of that to say the least Uh, this was all about defense in this game last night Seahawks end up winning this game 21 to 7 a lot of people bringing up uh, the Legion of Boom and all that sort of stuff going on there in Seattle and uh, a lot of excited people about that defense uh, coming back to what we expect from Pete Carroll uh, or what we've seen in the past at least Uh, on the other side of the ball Minnesota struggled uh, especially offensively and we uh, the news came out today that offensive coordinator John DeFilippo uh, has been let go by Mike Zimmer and, and the Minnesota Vikings. So moving forward, uh, they will have their quarterbacks coach calling plays for them. Mike Zimmer said that he will uh, get involved in some sort of capacity on that side of the football. But just just starting at this game last night, what was your main takeaway from Monday Night Football, Lombardi? You know, I, I was really excited to see the game, Tate Frazier, because for this point, uh, you know, this is a game where everybody thinks when you play Seattle, you have to beat Pete Carroll's cover three and his defense. And really what you have to do is you have to attack his adjustments. And I felt like going into the game, one of the reasons I picked Seattle and on the Friday sit-down was because I just knew Filippo was going to run beaters and not attack the coverage, and that's what he's done pretty much most of his career. He's a play designer, not a play caller, and so he designs plays that look good if he gets the right coverage against the right time. And that just doesn't happen. And today he got fired. And I don't want anybody to get fired. But this whole PR campaign that's been coming out of his camp has just caught me by complete surprise. If you watch the tape of the Minnesota offense, I mean, Minnesota, say what you want about their line. It's not great. But when you've got skill players to the level that they do, Thielen and and Diggs and, and Dalvin Cook healthy now and Rudolph, I mean, they're too good to get shut down and and for Seattle to win that game with Russell Wilson throwing for 60 yards and doing some, one of the dumbest things you know he could do, he runs sprint right option, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Russell Wilson's a veteran quarterback in the NFL. He runs sprint right option. He doesn't throw the ball away. He starts to do the Russell Wilson, I'm going to do a, make a, a spectacular play and throws an interception. I mean, that, that was a game that Seattle won, but man, they were so beatable that night. And they walk out of there with this whole concept that they're great on defense when I think it was really the ineptness of Minnesota's ability to understand how to properly attack them. And when you look at the numbers in this game, the Vikings were held to 3.1 yards per play in this one. Not so great. Uh, They weren't able to cross midfield Lombardi until 4.15 left uh, in the third quarter. And obviously uh, they weren't able to score until about, you know, minute 10 left in the game. And that was in garbage time at that point after the Seahawks uh, got the the fumble uh, in return on Kirk Cousins. One note to point out about Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins is defeated on Monday Night Football 0-7 in his entire tenure. Obviously, those games go back to Washington, his time in Washington. This is the third time he's lost to the Seahawks on Monday Night Football. Um, A lot of people are pointing to that offense and saying it's stagnant despite the fact that they have guys like Thielen and Diggs and we saw them in the second half you know have some moments even though Thielen wasn't even targeted in the first half. Um, Is there a quick fix to what this Minnesota offense can do Lombardi? I mean we we did see Zimmer after this game. I mean he has been pointing out the last couple weeks he wants to run the ball more. Uh, They did give Dalvin Cook some some, uh, carries last night. They also gave him uh, some chances in the passing game. He wasn't able to break anything out. Latavius Murray gets stuffed on that fourth and one, we all remember that. Um, but but overall, I mean, is there is there a quick fix to this offense? I mean, is there a way you talked about you know designing plays? Is there a way that someone can come in and make the right play calls, not necessarily the right designs, and, and be able to get these guys rolling again? Everybody looks at passing plays as the brilliance of a coach when it's really how they design the runs. You know, the running game is all about how do I get a half a man advantage on one side of the football or not, and it takes it takes motion, it takes creativity, it takes angles. And that's something that the Minnesota run game really didn't have. They missed Tony Sperano, who gave it 
to him. Unfortunately, he passed away. But Filippo had no interest in really understanding how to attack in a run game. He was more interested in designing pass plays because that's ultimately what was going to get him a head coaching job. So I, I think they will be much better. In fact, I think they will be increasingly better as they move forward. I think there was a lot of resentment in that building because they hired Filippo over Kevin Stefanski, Ed Stefanski, the president of the Pistons' son. They hired him in there. He wanted to go to the Giants. He'd been there since 2006, and he'd been groomed for the job. And they went ahead and hired a big, sexy name in Filippo, thinking they got this great coach when they probably should have just stayed within and just kept running the Shermer offense and doing what they were doing. I think Stefanski will do a good job. I think they'll understand what they have to do in the run game. I think Miami's vulnerable to handle that. Look, I'm not about just run the football. I'm about taking advantage of what the defense can do and attack the adjustments. And I think that Minnesota will be better for that. I think they'll be much improved. And I think that, you know, that's something that DiFilippo is going to have to eventually learn before he wants to become a head coach. Is there anything, too? I saw a lot of people on NFL Live talking about this. John Fox brought this up that Mike Zimmer has had some, you know, over the past, there, there were rumors that last week he may let DiFilippo go. Uh, that obviously didn't happen. They waited out. They go to Monday Night Football, and then they lose this game. But Zimmer was watching what he wants his team to look like, right? When he's looking at that Seahawks team, a team that can run the football, a team that prides itself on possession, a team that can dominate a game but only be up 6-0 to zero, uh, and, and have their defense kind of carry them. And you look at the other side of that, you know, they're giving the ball to Kirk Cousins and and they're trying, they're talking out of both sides of their mouth, it seems like. And, and the identity of the Vikings has gotten caught up in the whole Kirk Cousins situation. I mean, I know he's getting all the money and you decided he was your franchise QB, but it may not necessarily play into the strengths of what this Vikings team can do, especially on the defensive side of the ball. You know, I think Cousins is the bad fall guy here. I don't think it's Cousins' fault. I don't think there was harmony in the building. I don't think Cousins was in favor of what they were doing offensively. I think there was a lot of dissension in the offense a meeting room, coaches, players alike. I think now that's gone. I think that'll get cleared up. Look, I, look. everybody wants to... No, I don't want to be Seattle. Seattle needed to run more play-action passes. Last night, to me, I thought Seattle took a step back in offensive football. When you only throw for 60 yards and you win the game, you're, you're falling into a trap. You're never going to be able to do that and beat somebody if you have to go on the road. I mean, look, here's the reality. Seattle, all they ran last night were nine routes and the run the ball. They didn't have any intermediate passing game. They didn't do anything sophisticated in the passing game to give themselves a chance to make explosive play. What's the point of having this great run game if you don't have play-action passes? I mean, it's the same thing with the Rams. Why do you think why do you think Gurley's undefeated as a Ram when he carries the ball 17 times or more with Sean with Sean McVay, and when he doesn't, they're they're five and seven because he sets up everything with the run game. What good is having a good run game if you can't run play action passes and get chunks of yards down the field? And that's what I didn't see out of Seattle. I mean, look, before I'm going to pat Seattle on the back, and I think they've improved. We've been saying it all year on this podcast. But to me, that was a horrible game plan by Seattle. They did nothing to attack them. In terms of how well they ran the football, they did nothing off of it, which to me, I, I thought Wilson didn't look very good at all. He didn't throw the ball with any precision, and they they were fortunate to win that game only because the Vikings offense was worse. And the biggest play of the game for Russell Wilson, it was the the long run that he had. It was I think it was the, ended up being the longest run of the season for the Seahawks uh, when he slides down at the end and uh, and wraps it up and basically seals the game for him at that point. Um, one more note before we get out of here. I mean, is there a... Is there, are there any rumblings coming out of Minnesota where people, you know, start pointing the, you know, Mike Zimmer is now, I think this is his fourth offensive coordinator since he's been there in 2014. Uh, do, do people start pointing fingers at him because of so much turnover? I mean, obviously you lose Shermer, you know, to a head coaching job and some of these other guys that are, that have left the building. North, North Turner obviously got fired in the middle of, uh, of last year. But is there any, is there any world in which these Minnesota fans start to look at Mike Zimmer and say, hey, we have the quarterback, we have the skill players, we have the defensive players. Why is this not working? You know, I, I think Zimmer certainly has to handle some of the, the the blame in this, and I think he will. He's that kind of guy. But the reality here is there was dissension amongst the staff when Norv was there. He got Norv left. Eventually, Scott Turner left as well. Shermer took over. Things got a lot better. He lost Shermer to a head coaching job. He couldn't control that. I think he should learn a valuable lesson that it's better to stay from within than to go outside and hire somebody you don't know because the media is telling you this guy is really great when in reality we're not sure. I mean, look, let's go back and do an autopsy on the Eagles. The only thing that we can determine from the Eagles coaching staff last season is that Frank Wright has taken the third down package that was so successful in Philly last year and has moved it to Indianapolis and has been that successful. That is a fact. Nobody can dispute that. Now, what was DeFilippo's involvement? What was Doug Peterson's involvement? I don't know. 
and I'm not judging anyone there, but I know this, Reich is running it in, in Indianapolis, and it's really good. And it was really good in Philly last year, so draw your own conclusions. But I think Zimmer, to me, if I was an executive in Minnesota, I would just say to, to Zimmer, look, you got to have somebody who models after you. And the only way you do that is by having people in your organization that you've trained that can think not like you, but philosophically agree with you. That's important. And Filippo was never that guy. And you could see it a couple of times on the sideline last night. Mike Zimmer looked down. Uh, once they got that big pass play to Stephon Diggs and it looked like they had a chance to maybe even take the lead in that game, as crazy as that sounds, despite, you know, Seattle, Seattle dominating. I mean, they, were, they weren't able to, to, to put it together and, you know, increase that lead. And then uh, Zimmer, some tough play calls down there. They get stopped again. And he's looking down at Filippo, And I think that was pretty much the sign that... Uh, the times were ending there in uh, Minnesota. Filippo should feel lucky that he got the flight back home. I mean, there was a mm. good chance he might have been left in Seattle. I mean, you know, he fired him this morning, but I mean, there could have been a good chance he left. I mean, Al Davis might have left him there. You never know. Yeah, that would have been tough if uh, he probably would have. Reggie McKenzie would have been left, right? Uh, we, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But first, I want to get to uh, probably the biggest storyline from this week. If you didn't even watch football games, you heard about this just because uh, people enjoy seeing Bill Belichick struggle and Bill Belichick get outwitted. And, you know, for him to lose a chess match, it's like Bobby Fischer losing a chess match at this point. But Bill, Bill Belichick comes out in this game. Uh, they put a Hail Mary uh, prevent defense defense out there with Rob Gronkowski on the back end. Uh, they're calling it, they're dubbing it the Miami Miracle at this point. Uh, I'm sure you've seen it. Uh, and if you haven't, then, you know, a lot of laterals, a couple laterals, and then Kenyon Drake turns upfield. Uh, and it's a foot race to the pylon, and he gets there before Rob Gronkowski, who stumbles uh, and, and falls down before Miami scores a touchdown. After the game, Bill Belichick said, uh, you know, he thought that there would be a deep ball that was thrown. That's why he had Gronkowski on the field. It was his fault. Uh, you know, he pointed to the play at the end of the first half with Tom Brady taking a sack. Very uncharacteristic of Brady, even though we've seen him struggle down in Miami. Are there any major takeaways from this game? One being, are the Miami Dolphins a team that could actually make a run at the playoffs? And number two being, are the Patriots a team that need to be worried with how much they continue to struggle on the road? Oh, I think they got to be worried on the road, Tate Frazier. I think there's no doubt. I mean, look, they're not a good team on the road. Their defense was porous. I think if you want to take one thing from the miracle play is take how slow the Patriots look defensively in that pl- on that play. And I'm not talking about Gronk. I mean, Bill admitted that Gronk didn't belong on the field. That was a mistake. I mean, I think they thought it was a Hail Mary. They saw the three receivers to one side. They had Kyle Van Noy kind of as a spy because I think they anticipated Tannehill to roll to his right so he could launch the ball down the field so that – uh, Van Noy could get over the top of it and kind of put pressure on him so he didn't have real time to set his feet to throw it. Obviously, it was a mistake. They admit it. Look, at the end of the half, it was a disaster as well. I mean, that they got beat. The Patriots got beat in an area where they never usually get beat, which is in the game, which is situational football. And it cost them. But I think the key component here, when you look at that Patriot defense on that last play, is how slow they looked and how poorly they looked in space. And I think that's got to concern you. That's what I've been saying all year about their defense. I think it showed on that play. Drake just ran away from everybody. They didn't have anybody that could really run with Drake. And I know McCourty wasn't on the field. So he would have been somebody who could have. But I think you got to be concerned with the Patriots. And this is not your same, Pate. They're in the same uniform, but this is not your same 2014, 15, 16 Patriots. This is the Patriots team that right now sits at three and four on the road. They have a below 500 record on the road. They haven't had one of those in a long, long time. And I think it shows because they're not as talented as a team. And I think if Belichick gets this team to the conference championship game this year, I think it certainly would be one of his finest. I thought 13 when he got the team to the conference championship game was his finest coaching performance. I think if he gets this team to it this year, I think it'll be one of his most amazing uh, uh, coaching performances. And despite the main takeaway from this game being Rob Gronkowski not able to chase down Kenyon Drake, he did have a nice game. Uh, It was a nice little... A vintage Gronkowski performance, especially offensively. You saw some signs of him be able to, you know, make an impact at least. I mean, he's had a, a tough time. What we talked about with Des Bryant last year, being able to get any sort of separation, uh, and, and that comes down to foot speed a lot of the times. But in this game, he was able to to show some signs. And then after the loss, uh, Matt Slater, the captain of the Patriots, was asked uh, if he thought that this would be a crushing loss that could sink the Patriots. He said, "I certainly don't believe so." Uh, and then on the other side of the football, the Dolphins. They asked Ryan Tannehill about this game. He said, "There's no quitting me, and there's no." No quit in this team. So. I love it. I love it. Yeah, there's no quitting team. He had he he had no thought that that was going to be a play. I mean, seriously. I mean, when ten. I mean, but look, let them enjoy it. They're going to get smoked in Minnesota this week. I mean, let's face it. I mean, the Patriots miss an extra point. 
They miss a field goal at the end of the half. They miss another field goal, and they give up one of the worst plays in football. I mean, you know, and I'm I'm criticizing the Patriots for the lack of speed, but it, that was the one game where on the road, you know, that would have been a nice five-point victory, which it should have been. I thought the line at, at nine and a half was way too high because it's just the way it is. Miami, they're not good. We talked about it uh, before. I mean, Brady's one and four down there. He averages under six yards per attempt. But, uh, you know, I mean, I just think to me, Miami's not a good team. They're one and five on the road. They're the opposite. They're a bad road team, good home team. They lost at home to the Lions. That's their only loss. Believe that or not, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they are. But I'm not buying. I'm not buying Miami. Miami's not good enough to travel. They'll get smoked in Minnesota this week. My one thing about Miami, and this is just a, a random aside, but is there a world in which one of these teams that is going to you know replace and find a new head coach this offseason looks down at Adam Gase and says, "This guy." Doesn't have much going on down here, but he somehow is figuring out how to win games. Does that make him a top target on the market, or do people, you know, sort of ignore the fact that it is Miami and it is sort of just happening? You know, there before that game, I think there was a lot of people around the league thought Gase might lose his job. I mean, that mm-hmm. might have saved his job. You know, the great Mike Tannenbaum's the president of the team. God knows what he could come up with, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I think to me that that the, there was always and look, I thought Miami would compete for the first pick overall in the draft and. When they play on the road, I'm right. When they play at home, I'm way, way wrong. So I, I don't, you know, I think Gase is, you know, next year is going to be Gase's make or break season. He's going to have to do it. And he's got a ton of problems because what's he going to do a quarterback? He's just good enough at quarterback to not get rid of Tannehill. And he's just bad enough with Tannehill that he can't win good ga- games on the road. So he's in a tough spot. It's sort of uh, reminiscent to the Doug Marone, Blake Bortles situation we saw this last offseason. But, and I'm not, I'm not implying that the Dolphins I mean, are going to make it a conference championship. Frazier, only Blake Bortles could get replaced by a player worse than Blake Bortles. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, Cody Kessler's worse. As much as I bitch about Blake Bortles, uh, you know, I mean, Cody Kessler's worse than, worse than Blake Bortles. I mean, there's just no, there's no chance. Is I mean, it- Cody Kessler, I'm not sure in these two new leagues that are starting with the, uh, the uh, I'm not sure he could start in either one of those leagues. My head is spinning. I mean, I'm serious. That was a backhanded compliment for Blake Bortles. That was nice. Well, I mean, look, in fairness to the great Blake, he's better than Kessler, mm-hmm. but that just shows you the delusionalness of the of the Jacksonville front office and that you have Cody Kessler. I mean, does anybody watch the quarterback at Jacksonville's practices this summer? Did anybody watch it? Like, seriously, you got to wonder. It's like, it's like you have to wonder, does anybody watch the Redskins practices? Mm-hmm. Seriously. Mm-hmm. Players are bitching because they're in pads. They, they come out and they play the Giants. The first three passes, they drop or get tipped. Does anybody watch their practices and think they're going to be any good? Bruce Allen, I guess, right? That's the only one. Yeah, only only Bruce Allen could. Because yeah, you know, if you ask Bruce Allen if it was a nice day today and it was sunny, he would tell you it's raining. So you, <laughs> what, what could I tell you? Hey, he's all into player personnel. You know how that goes. Yeah, he does. That's right. He's <laughs> an expert in that area. That's right. That's why he was right about Kirk Cousins. That's what it, that was the big takeaway I saw today on all the, uh, <laughs> yeah, so the NFL sure series. Soapbox today. Yeah, of course, of course. All right, Lombardi. Let's take a quick break to talk about FanDuel. The fantasy playoffs are fast approaching, and at this point, you probably know whether or not your team is in the championship mix. If you're not, then FanDuel wants you to know that there's no shame in walking away from a losing team. Over at FanDuel, you get the excitement of researching and building your team each week, regardless of the outcome. Plus, FanDuel has never been more fun or easy to play. This week, despite Amari Cooper's heroic performance, I ended up losing. Trust me, I've tried other DFS sites before, and if you're not a fantasy expert, then FanDuel is clearly the place to play. When you're ready for a fresh start, come on over to FanDuel and get a $5 bonus when you make your first deposit. Then pick a new fantasy team every week and get all the fresh starts you need to get back to winning. So come play with us at FanDuel.com slash TheRinger. That's FanDuel.com slash TheRinger. New users only. Bonus not available for withdrawal. State and age restrictions apply. For full eligibility, rules, and terms and conditions, go to FanDuel.com. Back to GM Street. The next big game that we got to talk about, and this is one of the ones that I think shocked a lot of people, maybe not so many people in Chicago because they believe so much in uh, the monsters of the midway and their defense and, and what they've been able to do with Khalil Mack. But going against the Rams, there were a lot of conversations about Jared Goff going on the road, dealing with the cold weather. Would he be able to do it? Um, and <laughs> from this vantage point, he did not do so hot. I mean, the Rams are limited to 3.5 yards per play. That was their worst of the season by far. The next closest, I think, was 54 uh, yards per play, which is crazy. Goff in this game, four interceptions, a fumble, and a safety. The Bears have 25 interceptions on the season. Kyle Fuller continues to play well. 
They they're able to you know to get pressure inside. They were able to shut down Todd Gurley. And then after the game, Sean McVay came out and basically said, "Put this loss on me. This was all about play calling. This was all about uh, what I did wrong. And I put Jared in tough situations. I take full responsibility for this situation, um, and we will be better for it." But uh, b- before we get to the Rams, I do want to just talk about this Bears defense because uh, defense you know wins championships, Lombardi. That's what I've been told. And uh, this defense looks like a team like a defense that could actually make it to a Super Bowl, even if they have. You know, a quarterback like Mitchell, who is limited at times, uh, you know, in tight games. Well, I mean, look, they stopped one of the best offenses in football, and I think the cold helped them, too. And it wasn't really that cold. But did you see Jared Goff on the sideline? He couldn't wait to get his ski cap on, sit mm-hmm. on the bench. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he he was cold. He acted cold. And I don't think you can dismiss cold weather. We talked about it in the pod last week about Matt Ryan going up to Green Bay and dealing with the weather up there. He wasn't going to be very good. And anybody who bet Atlanta should have made a donation to their favorite charity because that was a gimme putt right there. Weather is a factor. And I think Goff doesn't handle weather very well. But I think the bigger issue here, Tate Frazier, is how good is Goff in terms of your appetite to pay him? Mm. Are you paying Goff $30, $35 million a year? I mean, that's the question. Is golf good? Yeah, there's no doubt. Is golf a top 10 player in the NFL? I think with McVay, he can be. But is he alone? No. But I think McVay's a top coach. And for McVay to take the heat on that game, to a degree, I think he's right because he didn't feature Gurley. And I don't think he, he put the pressure on Goff, not the pressure on Gurley. But at some point, Goff's got to make some throws and he's got to handle the weather, which he didn't do. To answer your question about the Bears, <laughs> I, I think the Bears – can certainly compete with their defense and keep them in the games, but there's no way you're going to lose the turnover. I mean, had if it wasn't for Goff turning the ball over the way Trubisky turned the ball over, we'd be having this conversation. I mean, I thought Trubisky was exactly what we've talked about on this podcast, inaccurate. And the Bears overcame him and won. And Matt Nagy said, hey, I told him it was no big deal. We won, so don't worry about it. Well, to me, I'm sure they're worried about it now. My question to you about that, some of those throws earlier in the game, I mean, Goff, you know, he had struggles. I mean, he was throwing some balls that just looked like, you know, I mean, wounded ducks just like floating in the air, looked like they could easily be picked off. Trubisky had the same thing where balls were soaring on him. If, if you're Nagy and if you're McVeigh and you see that the, the the elements are affecting your quarterback so much, I mean, what was the – I mean, both those guys. I mean, Mitch, Mitchell throws three picks. Goff throws four picks. It just seemed like they kept doing the same things and and expecting something different. And, uh, you know, that that is what they call insanity, right? Yeah, no, I think, look, you got to know it. I mean, Goff's numbers going into the game in, in less than 40-degree weather. He's played in four games and they were bad. He had five touchdowns, three interceptions. He averaged under seven yards per attempt. He wasn't very good in that. His quarterback rating was around 74. Look, it's just what it is. I mean, the kid grew up in Marin County. It's nice up there. It's warm. You know, he doesn't have to play in a lot. His hand's not very big. Trubisky, you know, grew up in Mentor, so he's more used to it. But we know Trubisky's more athlete than he is quarterback, no matter what you want to say about him. He's more athlete than quarterback, and that's going to be the concern as you move forward. Can he make enough plays in the playoffs? Because he's going to, have to make plays in the playoffs in the passing game. That's that's the reality. Now, I think Goff will. I don't think there's any doubt. Goff's going to be playing in sunny Los Angeles. It's going to the weather's going to be great. The ball's not going to be frozen, and he's going to be able to make some throws. And they're going to be able to utilize their home field. But I think for the Bears, if they have to travel. Now, how good is that defense? You know, they travel to the New York Giants and they struggle to stop the Giants from moving the ball. Can they stop the Rams on the road? I think it's a whole different story. And it will be interesting to see what happens. I mean, the, the one lone touchdown that Trubisky does have in this game is basically a trick play where they got the eyes all looking at Hicks, who they put in on that play, and they expect him to run up the gut. And then, you know, it's a little play-action pass where he rolls out uh, and throws the touchdown to Bradley Soule. Um, you know, so that that was the one lone touchdown for Trubisky. And, you know, trick plays in the playoffs, a lot of times when things tighten up, uh, they don't tend to work out so well and fare so well. So that's something to yeah, keep and an even eye that on. Throw t- Tate Frazier was high. I mean, Solwell made a great catch. I mean, that kid must have been a tight end in high school. I know I went back and looked it up. He wasn't, and he was an all-state lineman in Mississippi, but or Tennessee. But I mean, that that was an incredible catch. And I heard Nagy say uh, later that the kid catches everything in practice. I could see it. I mean, that was an incredible catch. He, re- he extended those long. He's six seven, and it took every inch of his arm length to get the ball. It was a hell of a catch. It was a, not a great throw. Now, look, I think Trubisky had to throw it higher. That because you don't want to throw it on eye level because you're trying to throw it through bodies. That wasn't a great throw. <laughs> that was not a great throw, but it was a great catch. And uh, Bradley Soul apparently is a scratch golfer also. So if you if you want to see big you guys hit a golf ball. You can see it. He's got ball. great eye-hand coordination. Yes. I mean, you could see it. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it definitely showed uh, one more point I want to ask you about. And they were talking about this during the game. And this is just uh, something I'm curious about. They were talking about McVeigh uh, going into the huddle with Goff. And, you know, he can obviously hear him in the headset. How long how long is McVeigh in the headset for Goff? Because I, I do feel Until like it gets to 15 seconds. Once it gets okay. to 15, it turns off. Actually, I thought they did a great job of showing it. They had they had McVeigh talking. They had Goff in the huddle and they had the clock. And you could see you could see McVeigh's mouth stop right at it hit 15. He was going to keep talking until, he, but you could see it closed off. And he's coaching him up the whole way. Hey, look, if the safety's down, remember the outside technique of the corner on this play, we're going to throw it here. He's, you know, he's living his life vicariously through golf as the quarterback. And it, he does a great job. Look, I'll say this. If the cap's $175 million or say the cap's 185 next year, great coaches should make $20 million a year. Mm-hmm. It's just a fact. Mm-hmm. They should make a percentage of the cap. I mean, Bill Belichick at twenty million a year is underpaid. You know, Sean Payton at twenty million a year is underpaid. I mean, the owners are getting incredible value for coaches, paying them four to five, six million dollars a year when a cap's going up to one hundred eighty million. McVeigh's worth twenty million a year because what McVeigh has done is make you think he's made you think that golf is great, and golf is good, but he's making you think he's great. You got to pay for that. You got to pay for that. You got to pay for that ability. And I think, you know, what's that, that line in, in, in uh, the usual suspects is the devil is the, the, the greatest trick that a devil ever played is making you think he exists. <laughs> That's the beauty of great coaching. You know, you ask that, you think golf is great. And people say, well, Lombardi, you're just not hard on golf. No, I'm not. I think golf's a good player. I think McVeigh makes him a greater player. And I think you see it all the time. I think Nagy has made as much as he possibly can, I think Nagy has made Mitchell as good as he can possibly be. Do I think Nagy's worth $20 million? Not yet. But I think he's worth – I think he's certainly earning his stripes. But I think the great coaches in this league make players better than they are. So the fundamental question you would say to me, well, Lombardi, how much – you know, who made who, Brady or, or Belichick? I think in that case, they both made each other. But to me – there's sometimes when a player makes a coach make when a coach makes a player better, and sometimes a player makes a coach better, which a lot of people think in Mike McCarthy's case. My one thought about this whole McVeigh thing, or you know, he is basically a sideline quarterback. I mean, he's sitting over there and he, he's pointing out all this stuff to Goff in the huddle, and then he, he cuts dead at 15 seconds. What happens when we have a situation where communications from the sidelines aren't getting into the huddle and? You know, in the playoffs, say they're in New Orleans and, and, and communications get cut and McVeigh can't talk to Goff. And then we're in a situation where Goff has to make a decision. I mean, I don't know if we've ever seen him have to do that because I don't know how much McVeigh is telling him before, uh, you know, well, every I, I think snap. the way to ask that question, Tate Frazier, is we haven't seen him do that against top level competition. Yeah. You know, you can do it against Tampa Bay and get mm-hmm. away with it, right? Mm-hmm. You can do it against, you know, a bad defense and get away with it. I mean, like I wrote in The Athletic this week about. You know, Trubisky's interceptions, nine of the 11 have come against def- def- really good defense coordinators and 15 of the 21 touchdowns have come against really bad defenses. So like you make your decision, you know, it's the level of comp we're talking about. This is why this weekend was so good because the level of comp is rising and teams and there's no tanking in the NFL. I mean, people talked about the Raiders tanking. No, the coaches don't want to tank. Their jobs are at stake. They can't tank. So nobody wants to tank. And mm-hmm. so, you know, there's a lot of good coaches that are now battling. And it's when you face a good coach, when Filippo faces Pete Carroll, who are you betting on? That's the question you got to ask. And when McVay's coaching against somebody not of the ilk of Vic Fangio, you know, now he's got a challenge. It's going to be a little harder. But when he's playing against guys that he can beat, then it's a lot easier, and that's why he needs to get paid. Yeah, that's something to keep an eye on, and right now, as it sits, the Rams are the number two seed in the NFC. Uh, Let's move to a team that is uh, not talking playoffs, not talking uh, much of anything, but they did have a big win this week, and that is John Gruden and the Oakland Raiders. Um, They they announced this morning, actually, which is uh, shocking to some, but also two days ago, we did see some reports uh, about the fact that Reggie McKenzie may be let go in the offseason. Didn't know what happened this soon, especially after a win against the Steelers. Uh, Gruden, a couple days ago, when he was asked about it, he said, I don't have any comment on that we're going to build this team back I know that we're going to bring the Raiders back that's all I said and then he's, he tried to play the whole shock and all card uh you know this morning when he was asked about the Reggie McKenzie situations if he had no idea about it which gives me the the perfect ammo to ask you Lombardi a guy that knows a little bit about the Raiders situation and who's making decisions there if John Gruden had no idea Reggie McKenzie was going to be let go who made that decision 
the decision was made by Mark Davis when he gave John Gruden $10 million a year for 10 years. I mean, that's the mm -hmm. reality of it. Like, exactly. I don't know why this is a comedy. I don't know why there's a whodunit involved in this one. I mean, you know, this is a murder she wrote here, or this is doesn't Professor Plum did it in the library, you know, with the, with the crooked knife. I mean, that's pretty clear. I mean, you look at the 50, I know everybody's talking about Reggie's great drafts and, you know, Reggie pit, hit on some great players. There's no doubt. But look at the 15 to 17 drafts. They haven't really been to the level that they needed to sustain. And if you look at over the last five years of the franchise, they've had one winning record, much like the Jacksonville Jaguars, and then they reverted back. So, you know, look, I think Gruden is doing what he wants to do. It's got to be somebody for Gruden that he feels comfortable with, that understands the pro game, that is a pro scout that can help him identify players that fit within the system that he's trying to operate. And when he got that job, that was never going to be Reggie. And I hope Reggie gets another job somewhere, and I hope he lands on his feet. He's got paid to 2021. But sometimes this business that we've chosen isn't kind. And sometimes, you know, there's not relationships that can work. And I think that Reggie and John professionally are uh, personally can be fine, but professionally they're from different cloths. And I think that was never going to work. So, you know, John doesn't want to take the heat for it. Maybe so. But the reality of it is, is Mark Davis ultimately made this decision when he went to Tampa Bay and he gave John Gruden 10 years and a hundred million dollars. That's the reality of it. And so John's entitled to run the team the way he's sees fit because he's got that authority and you know and it gave reggie a chance to prove himself to see what he could do and you know i don't know what goes on inside their building but you know obviously that was never going to be a marriage that i could say this is going to last i just, just just knew it just from knowing the two personalities that doesn't make either one of them right it's just you know the two personalities so you know life goes on john finds himself a guy that that he can that will hopefully a guy that'll challenge him hopefully somebody that'll help him in personnel because that's going to be the critical component of john's success at as the oakland raiders general manager is john going to be a good general manager because he's a good coach so he's got to do both jobs really well and a lot of speculation right now that's coming out of Oakland is that Sean Herrick, who is, uh, I think he runs college scouting uh, for the Raiders. He's apparently one of those guys that I think he is technically the interim GM at this point. But is Gruden, we, we just know Gruden, no matter what the title may be, there may be a GM in the building and they may have the title of the, the GM, but it is a nominal title at best because John Gruden is going to make the the ultimate decision because, as you said, he has 10 years there and it is his team. He will he will make the Raiders in his vision throughout his entire time there. No doubt. And look, I mean, it won't be Bruce Allen, you know, because Bruce Allen's not a personnel guy. I saw somebody reported that Bruce was the name. It's not going to be Bruce Allen. I mean, I'm sure the I'm sure Redskin fans uh, would 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 probably hire pay for a private jet to send Bruce there. But that ain't going to happen. So, you know, I mean, John needs to find a grinder. John needs to find somebody that sees the game in his way, sees players the same way, philosophically can get along with Paul Gunther, the defensive coordinator, Rich Bashachi, the special teams coach, because it's going to be more of a collaborative effort the personnel guy is going to be almost as like a coach because he's got to understand what john's doing he's got to understand the fundamentals the techniques john's teaching remember i wrote about it in the book it, you know which would make a good stocking stuffer by the way tate Fraser. Yes, yes i wrote about it in the book i mean a shameless plug perhaps <laughs> uh, you know you got to scout inside out you can't scout outside in and i think that what john needs is somebody that'll help him scout inside out We'll see if uh, they can figure that out. They did figure it out on Sunday going against the Steelers. They win that one 24-21. Fourth and goal from the six-yard line. Derek Carr hit. <laughs> you probably don't even know this name if you weren't watching the Raiders too much. Derek Carrier, who is their third tight end on the team, he scores the touchdown. Uh, and then it goes down. The Steelers have a chance. Looks like they may have a field goal to tie the game. We get a slip on the turf, a blocked field goal, and uh, John Gruden and the Raiders celebrate. And back-to-back -back weeks, I mean, even last week against the Chiefs, the Raiders showed some signs of life. And no, they did. They, they are. Hey, hey, Tate Frazier, this game was amazing now. Nobody's talked about this. The, the Raiders had 13 penalties for 130 yards in the game and still won. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, this was a team that featured two teams that were the two most penalized teams in football. And the Raiders had 13. They gave up 130 yards and penalties and won the game. That's freaking remarkable. I mean, I don't even know how you do that, but they did. And, you know, look, I think the Raiders are going to keep trying to win. I mean, you know, they're going to keep fighting because I think that's just human nature. And plus, they know there's no substitute teacher as the head coach. They know this guy's coming back. They got to fight for their jobs.
And the Steelers in that game, only two penalties for 14 yards, so that was something to keep an eye on. I think the the biggest fallout from from what happened with Pittsburgh, I mean, we've seen them go on the road and, you know, lose games that they probably shouldn't have lost before. That's nothing new with these guys. But Roethlisberger goes down with a rib injury. Uh, some people have had some concerns about that. Obviously, they were missing James Conner. Uh, and Jalen Samuels, I mean, as much as Jalen is, you know, a very electric player, a guy that you want to have on the field, he's not necessarily an A1 typical running back, not a guy you want to have as your number one back, um, more a guy that you want to have out of the backfield, you know, in a Darren Sproles type of way. So they struggled there getting the run game going and just overall looking into that Steelers team. I mean, seven, two and one, everyone was excited. Looked like they had figured things out post Le'Veon and now Le'Veon Bell's liking, uh, Instagram stories about, you know, the Steelers losing and, and, and all these Steelers fans are in an uproar. I mean, is there trouble in paradise? Is there trouble in Pittsburgh? Is this something to keep an eye on? Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, look, Tate Frazier, they, they, you know, they, they can't, they can't close games out. I mean, they had the, you know, they're lucky to be on it, having beaten, you know, Jacksonville was a was a fortunate win for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a couple of plays in that game that could have gone the other way. They're down on the goal line. They've turned the ball over too much. Uh, this game, they actually protected the ball. They had a chance, but they can't get control of the game. I mean, now they play the Patriots at home where they haven't been great this season. This is a huge game for them. And they get the Patriots at the wrong time because the Patriots after that horrible loss in Miami. But look, they match up against the Patriots. Now the Patriots match up against their defense really well, but so does the Patriots. The Patriots defense doesn't match up against this Pittsburgh offense. They can throw the football on them. It's going to be a challenge. This will be a really good game. And this is going to be for a home field advantage type of game, not for Pittsburgh, certainly for Houston, which plays on Saturday night against the Jets. Houston can fly home if they beat the Jets, knowing that they got a chance to be the number two seed. Yep. And uh, unfortunately for the Texans fans out there in the world, I mean, they snapped their nine game winning streak, losing to division rival, the Indianapolis Colts. We can talk about that a little bit later. One more takeaway I want to get to uh, before we move on here. Carolina Panthers fall for the fifth straight game. Uh, Cam Newton after the game, I mean, said he didn't have any words to explain how he felt about it. Didn't didn't know what was going on. They just haven't found a way to win games. And it it is true. It does seem like this Carolina offense is able to get in positions where they should be able to, you know, get get a score or at least get a field goal or get something positive. And they haven't been able to do it for whatever reason. And uh, five straight losses for them. Browns and Baker Mayfield have a great game uh, and they get the nice win there. Now they're at five, seven and one with a chance to make some noise. Possibly need a lot of people to, you know, fall by the wayside for them to have a realistic chance to make the playoffs but just looking at that Panthers team and where they are right now six and seven after being six and two five straight losses as I said before is there trouble for Riverboat Ron at this point I think there has to be I mean look I I don't know you know they have a new owner in there that that is a hedge fund guy and smart he's an analytical person so I'm sure he's going to want to build his organization you know he was in the Pittsburgh model so you know whatever they do down there it'll be some similar to what Pittsburgh does I'm sure he's going to want to get a coach that he can work with for the next 10 or 12 years and see where it goes if say John Harbaugh were to get fired in in Baltimore, I could see that happen. And I think a lot's going to happen around the NFL based on some other situations. But look, uh, Carolina's a, a team that I don't quite get my hands on. I've tried to play them. I think they're more talented than their one loss record. Offensively, when you look at Cam, he's having career numbers, percentage of completions, quarterback rating, but they're not winning games. Turn the ball over. Their defense can't really stop anybody. They're bad on the road. I mean, they've won one road game. They beat the Eagles when they held them in the and the Eagles only scored 17 points. All other road games, teams score over 20 on them. You know, that's not a good sign. And so, look, I, I think there'll be changes coming. Do I think Marty Herney, the general manager, gets fired? That I don't know. But I do think there'll be a new. I do think that if they don't get this turned around with a tough Monday night game against the Saints, it's going to be challenging. And the way they play defense, man, it's it's hard to stop anybody. And it's something to keep an eye on. There, we'll we'll talk about the playoff picture a little bit. But that sixth seed in the NFC right now is you know Eagles, Panthers, Vikings, all all of those teams that you know a lot of expectations going into the season, and now a lot of a lot of variations of what how it may play out. But uh, obviously, those three franchises are are in a bind, and they need to win games. Uh, you know, down the stretch run here to see to see what really happens. The next one we have the NFC East showdown between the Clapper and Doug Peterson. The Clapper delivers again. The Cowboys get a nice 29-23 win. If you just see the final score, this would not uh, showcase what this game was until about the fourth quarter. I mean, Dallas was up 6-0 at halftime, uh, tied at 9 in the third quarter, and then once we got to the fourth quarter, uh, you know, throw everything out the window. Dak Prescott and Carson Wentz turned it on, and uh, it, it was a showdown and a shootout. And then at the end, an Amari Cooper tip pass, tip ball. I mean, it, it was... Uh, <laughs> Fortunate to say the least, but uh, he's able to reel it in and get a win. And Dak Prescott and the Cowboys, I mean, now they have control of the NFC East. 
Yeah, I mean, what a game. I mean, the Cowboys are dominating the game, and, and the scoreboard doesn't look the same. you got to give the Eagles defense credit. They played a doubleheader. Mm-hmm. I mean, they played a doubleheader and hung in there with bad guys in the secondary. I mean, the fact that Amari Cooper had a great game doesn't surprise you because the secondary is horrible. I mean, when you look at their team and Sidney Jones, the corner, goes out. I mean, I don't know how physically competitive that kid is in terms of playing through some pain and some you know, he's got the hamstrings, so he's not 100%. But, you know, the secondary was really weak. I thought the Eagles laid it all on the line like a champion. They fought hard. You know, they were just horrible on third down. Once again, where's Frank Reich? You know, they were great on third down last year. They're one for nine in this game on third down. They couldn't control the football, can't score in the first quarter again. You know, the Cowboys were able to play from in front. But if there there was ever a game that's going to tell you this is the, you got to be careful with the Cowboys in the playoffs, this was the one. I mean, I know they fought back and won the game in overtime, but if they would have played a team that could really throw the football effectively, the Eagles weren't doing that very well in in the first three quarters. It could have been trouble for them the way Dak turned the ball over. This offensive line, I think, is questionable. If Zach Martin's going to miss much time, you know, it, it puts Connor Williams in there at right guard, who's not very physical. Uh, so, look, it's a great win for the Clapper Cowboy fans. I mean, tomorrow when you do the pod with Cousin Sal, please congratulate him on the Clapper's extension, which will be coming soon at a theater near you. And uh, enjoy it. Yeah, it'll be fun. I mean, all the Cowboys fans are very excited. I mean, two notes that are not exciting if you're a Cowboys fan. One, Zach Martin goes down in this game, and if you don't have Martin, uh, that obviously that that will hurt them down as we get to the playoffs because Zach Martin is so important to that offensive line for the Cowboys. And then Ezekiel Elliott in this game, he gets 40 touches in this game. I mean, uh, 28 rushes for 113 yards, caught 12 of his 13 targets for 79 yards. Um, but But you just look at the workload that they're throwing on Elliott to win these games. I mean, I know it's December football. I know it's the time when you, you got to start throwing it at these guys. But is there a chance maybe, you know, a Zeke gets worn out as we get into the playoffs? I mean, it seems like the Cowboys are hitting their stride right now the past, you know, four or five weeks. Um, and, they got no recourse, yeah. Tate Frazier. They got to give them the ball. I mean, they have to. I think there's no doubt about it. And this, you know, for the record, this had to be one of the worst officiated games in the NFL. Mm, I bad. know the NFL has fired officials uh, in, in this year so far, but that call on Goddard on the offensive pass interference was a joke. I mean, the call on the fumble, the opening game in the game, you see the Eagles come out of it with the ball and they say, well, we don't know who had the ball. I mean, seriously? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, really? <laughs> I mean, just watch the TV tape. I mean, it's really, it was really a poorly officiated game on both sides. I mean, the call I thought on 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 Zeke on lowering his head. I mean, you know, I mean, gosh, I, I I don't know. So look, I'm not either way. I mean, the Eagles had ample opportunity to overcome the bad calls, and they scored on that drive anyway. But it was really a poorly efficient. If that crew gets a playoff game, or if that um if that referee, I, I forget who it was. If he get, I'll go back and check. If he gets a playoff game, man, I don't know what they're grading. That's something to keep an eye on. I mean, there were a bunch of questionable calls. I mean, even last night on Monday Night Football, a lot of people were pointing to the fact that Bobby Wagner, when he blocked the kick, uh, he used two guys on the Seahawks as leverage to help jump. They threw the flag right away, and then they – I mean, how many times they pick it up? I mean, are you kidding me? Like, why can't they just go up to replay and look at it right there? I mean, Mm -hmm. why don't they just do what the NBA does and go over there? If you called it and you're going to pick it up, you better have some evidence to pick it up. Like, all it becomes is who yells the loudest, who's debating better. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's, it's like, you know, who's going to win that argument? You know, I mean, I'm not a good debater. You lose. Okay. So that, that would pick up the flag. And you're trying to appease the home team at that point. And it did seem like the Seahawks had won that game and that blocked, you know, it seemed like it all worked out. And he didn't use someone on the other team as leverage, I guess, was sort of the argument. But still, uh, you know, they, they talked to the officials and they were like, yeah, that, that's an illegal play. You can't do that. You can't use uh, two of your own guys Pereira to jump over, all the over line. It on Twitter. He was yeah. pitching about it live when it happened. Yep. I mean, you know, look, the Vikings, I mean, look, I don't want to sound like Al Davis and, you know, like I'll take another one that's, for example, like Tate Frazier, like how do you, this would be a classic Al Davis. I'm going to give you a classic Al Davis question here. How how the fuck could we throw the ball? Could the Chiefs throw the ball 53 times and not get called for holding once? They're after me. They're out to get me. (laughs) Seriously. Now that's a fair question, right? How do the Chiefs throw the ball 53 times Mm -hmm. in one game and not get called for one holding penalty? And riddle me that, Batman. Andy Reid, right? It's good schemes. That's what it is. <laughs> I don't know. He would be going berserk over that one. I mean, that would have drove him absolutely in 53 times. You mean to tell me we're dropped back in the pass 53 times and the quarterback scrambling around, losing leverage in the pocket, going right, going left, going backwards, going forwards like a like a like a video game. And they only get they don't get called once. <laughs> we don't ask those questions. See, that's what the brilliance yeah. of Al Davis was. Mm-hmm. We, he would ask the he would ask a question that nobody. That's a brilliant question. 
It is a good question, and it's something that we need to look into because uh, you actually brought up basketball, and I wanted to run something by you. It's something I was watching the game last night. This was the Diggs catch when he got the 48-yard catch down the sideline, the, the only positive big play for the Vikings, it seemed, all night. But he also had – it was pass interference when he caught the ball. So, uh, you know, we talk about basketball rules. We see pick plays. We see screens that are set. Uh is there a world in which we can get an and one where, you know, Diggs catches that ball and then we give him 15 more yards? If he catches it, there should maybe there should be like a little bonus, you know, like yeah, a like, little look. We'll give you five more yards. Yeah, five more yards. Yeah, I mean, that's and one. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's a great idea, Tate Frazier. That should be brought up. I mean, they won't ever go for it. But I mean, I think, you know, to me, it should be just a 15 yard penalty like the college rule, you know, yes. not a spot foul, a 15 mm-hmm. yard. I think that would clarify clarify that. But you're right. I mean. Look, it's you just can't some some things you just can't explain when it comes to the officials. Fifty three passes and they don't get called for holding once. Yeah, you know, I mean, really, that's hard to believe. No wonder Pat Mahomes is throwing no look passes. You know, he knows he's no, <laughs> exactly. no holding penalties. A lot of confidence out there. Um, are, are you ready to get to the Week fourteen awards, Lombardi? I'm always ready, Tate Frazier. You know that. I mean, I can't wait. <laughs> Let's do it. Week 14 awards. The first one we have is uh, time to go on the lamb, Lombardi. You look around the landscape of the NFL, who needs to go on the lamb this week? Well, I was going to put Minnesota J- John D. Filippo on the lamb, but he's already there. I mean, yes. you know, yes. he's already there. But I think at the nation's capital, that's a permanent lamb job. I mean, I think Bruce Allen should go on the lamb. I mean, you can't be 52, 80, I think he's 52, 85, and one. He's got like a 41 winning percentage, 27th ranked amongst general managers in the league. I mean, I don't know. Does Dan Snyder watch practice? Seriously. No. Do you look at that, do you look at that team and you think that, I mean, when they were six and two, we weren't buying them. Mm hmm. I mean, it's a joke. I mean, you know, I feel bad for Jay Gruden, but look, let's face it. The Redskins are poorly coached. They look like an unmade bed. They, they have no attention to detail. You know, they're, oh we, oh, we got so many guys hurt. You know, there's a reason you got guys hurt. You don't practice. Their players were bitching about putting pads on last week. Can you imagine that? They're bitching about putting pads on last week. You know, I mean, come on, give me a break. And so, uh, you know, to me, I just think to me, the culture that I've written articles about, the culture's there, but you know, I think Snyder must be on the lamp too because he doesn't seem to care. He's too busy trying to get a stadium, and he's. I think his attention's on Washington. I think it's more about you know the stadium than it is about his team. Yeah, and getting Patrick Ewing to the game. I did see that. I saw Dan Snyder with Patrick that's Ewing good. and yeah, Doug Williams. So that hey, was how about a shout out to my plus. man Mus at Reno at Nevada Reno? Can we give him? Can we give him some love? Are you giving him love on on the shining pod? I mean, come on. How about my man Mus? He's doing you gotta great. Got to get on the Mus bus. And it's the best because Eric Musselman. I, I call him uh, the sandbagger, and I don't know if you've heard this but he basically lets the other teams in the first half like USC I went to the USC game on Saturday and then I went to uh when they played out here in Los Angeles against Arizona State and Bobby Hurley he lets these teams get a bunch of confidence in the first half they have you know ranging from an 8 to 16 point lead at the half they they feel good about themselves Musk goes in at halftime makes all the adjustments and they come out and blow people out and uh that's what he does that that's good coaching Lombardi make the adjustments you got to love my man, Musk. He had an office at the Raider facility, too. He had an office there. So, I mean, it was awesome. You know, we when he got fired at the Warriors, I gave him an office next door to me. He would come in there and watch tape every day and work on his shit. So he was great. And you can tell that, uh, you know, he has it together. You look at that staff, that Nevada staff, they uh, they work really hard. I also got yelled at this week by calling him Nevada. Apparently, it's Nevada. That's what the, the people that live in, in Nevada want it to be Nevada. But I've always said Nevada. So I'll keep it at that. But we'll keep supporting Musk for sure on this podcast uh, as we move forward. Forward. One more note on Washington. Uh, they were down 40 to zero. If you didn't see this game and Josh Johnson, uh, he breaks the record for the longest drought between uh, playing in the NFL with six years, 363 days. He broke the record set by Doug Flutie, who went eight years, 277 days uh, between st- between games uh, played in the NFL. And that was 1989 to 1998. So that's one more note there. Uh, next award we have, we got the Fred Palermo Award uh, for preparation. Good game plan going into the week. Who do you have for this Lombardi? You know, you got to give it to the Jets. I mean, look, they had a good week this week. They beat the Bills up in Buffalo after getting destroyed by them the week before. So you got to give them some love on that one. I think the Colts deserve it too. Because, I mean, look, the Colts went down there and beat them twice. You know, they got beat and they went down into Houston and stopped the nine game win streak. I think Frank Wright's done a great job. So, you know, I, I mean, I think both those teams deserve a lot of praise and love. I think that they did a great job. And, you know, look, it's not very often that the. You get, you beat a team so soundly on their home field, and then you lose to them in the rematch when you get to play them on their field. So you got to give them some credit. Sam Darnold actually looked much better, and uh, it gives some hope for New York. 
Yep, a lot of hope for the uh, Jets fans, and I, I want to point out for the Giants fans too. Uh, up forty to zero, came out actually played a game of football and embarrassed Mark Sanchez and the rest of that Washington team. So congratulations to those guys, the G men. Make it yeah, we got uh, to make always give love to the Giants. Mm-hmm. Always give love to the Giants. It's so important. You know they they're so nice and they do such a nice job and they always pack a nice lunch and they share and they have an apple every day. I love the Giants. I love the Giants. I really do. So say nice things about and Eli was spectacular in that yes. game. He was spectacular. He, I've never seen a more brilliant play at quarterback. Eli 2020. That's all we're saying right now. And uh, that's talking about him being a quarterback probably in the CFL. The next award we have is the KGB award. Team that got snuck up on. Who do you have here, Lombardi? Well, I think Denver obviously got snuck mm-hmm. on, right? My man yep. Vance, Vance Joseph was thinking he had this one in the bag. But this was a game we we talked about it. You know, uh, this was Kyle Shanahan. You know, he, he didn't get the uh, head coaching job in Denver. He interviewed. He finished second to Vance Joseph. His dad got fired. This was a motivating game. I Look, I'm not in love with the 49ers by no means. I've put them on the land before. But you got to give them credit. They came back. George Kittle made some incredible, you know, had two, over 200 yards, catch uh, rece- reception yards. And Denver, who had a chance for the playoffs, can't beat a bad 49er team, you know, they got duped. They definitely did. Uh, the next one we have, can't tell my courage from my desperation. Uh, for this one, I have the Packers. Packers showed up this week and uh, finally showed some signs. Uh, Aaron Rodgers was happy in the post game, and they get a nice win over the Falcons. Yeah, look, I mean, I think this Falcon team is not very good. I think the Falcons are always eva- misevaluate their own team. And Matt Ryan on the road, we talked about it on the Friday sit-down. He's mm-hmm. not very good, but you kind of knew it. That's why I think Minnesota will respond this week. I think there was some bad blood going on between Minnesota and, and DeFilippo with the offensive staff. I think Minnesota's offense will come out and play well, just like Green Bay did. Yep, and we'll keep an eye on that moving forward uh, as we get into Week 15. The final one that we have, if you don't know, now you know. Lombardi, what do we know? We know that the six teams that are currently seated in the NFC and the six teams that are currently seated in the AFC are the 12 best teams. And I think what we know now is there's no true A-level team. I think all these are B teams, and I could easily see a six seed beating a three seed. And I'm telling you, Tate Frazier, I think it's going to be a fun playoff ride all the way through. I don't think there's a dominating team anywhere. I think the Saints are really good, obviously the Rams, but I think it's going to be a fun playoff run. I think if Baltimore got the sixth seed and they played New England as the three seed, I could see Baltimore winning that game. I think it's going to be a lot of fun playoff time. I think the 12 teams that are currently where they are right now are the best 12. We have the the Chiefs as the one seed, the Patriots as the two seed, uh, Texans as the three, Steelers four, Chargers five, Ravens six, NFC. We got Saints, Rams. Bears, Cowboys, Seahawks, Vikings, those are the teams that are right now. And then looking at from the outside looking in, teams to keep an eye on that are also in the hunt that are that are right there nipping at the heels. The the Colts obviously in the AFC, Dolphins, Titans, and then in the NFC you got Panthers, Eagles, uh, and you know, I, I guess I guess you could give the Redskins, but uh, I don't think we can do that. Oh, stop it. Stop it. Get them <laughs> out of there. They're done. They won't even show up. They won't even I mean, they won't even they're going to Jacksonville this week. I mean half the team might not show up. Lombardi, any more notes uh to, to keep an eye on for week fifteen? Anything else uh, that stuck out to you for week fourteen before we get out of here? No, I'm good, Tate Frazier. I, I'm looking forward to week 15. I, I I can't wait for it. I think we're in the best time of the year. Make sure you get your Christmas shopping done now. Will you hear? Yes, Go exactly. Go out there and do it. Yes, sir. I will uh, I will be shopping. I hope everybody else uh, will get ready for the holiday uh, season as we move forward. And uh, it's been a great time in the NFL. A lot of good games, a lot of good teams. And like you said, there is no A1 team. There is no one dominant force. And uh, it's going to be a very intriguing playoff picture uh, as we get down here to the, to the stretch run of the, uh, the full NFL season. So, this has been another edition of GM Street, part of the Rigor Podcast Network. We will be back on Friday for Lombardi to give his five games to watch out for in Week 15. Until then, we will see you. Thanks again to FanDuel. If you're not a fantasy expert, FanDuel is the place to play. At FanDuel, you get the excitement of researching and building your team each week, regardless of the outcome. Come play with us at FanDuel.com slash The Ringer and get a $5 bonus when you make your first deposit. That's FanDuel.com slash The Ringer. New users only. Bonus not available for withdrawal. State and age restrictions apply. For full eligibility rules and terms and conditions, go to FanDuel.com. Thanks for listening to GM Street. We'll see you on Friday.